Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 163. You've got Chris and Brian, and this time around we're going to talk about a recent training event we did using our concealed carry guns. Um, did some movement, did some accuracy stuff, did, did yeah, yeah, just did a whole bunch of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, uh, this is probably one of the first um, daylight shooting events uh, of the year because it's post time yeah. change. So most of this was was running, you know, in 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 a good light environment. Um, so I spent a little bit of time, like Brian said, honing things a little bit. And and uh, we've talked a lot about movement more with long guns or with pistol caliber carbines, however you want to look at it. But with with quote unquote shoulder fired weapons. Um, and this was this was getting back to handguns and and moving around a lot. Um, and, and so I, I think this was a really cool training from a perspective of the movement to cover. We did a lot of that kind of stuff uh, and some other drills and stuff like that. But the movement to cover aspect of this, I think, was the thing that was the take home for like being able to look at a situation and say, hey, how much do I actually need to move? Understanding the world's an imperfect place and taking what you had and making the best of it kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. So we'll get to that, that drill in a moment. Yep. Um, to start out, we just started out 10 yards, um, a full magazine, you draw in one. Yeah. Um, put put your rounds in the upper A zone of a USPSA target. Yep. Uh, this was the first time, I think a bunch of us had really focused on shooting handguns in probably three, four months. Yeah. Yeah. Other than Maybe whatever you're doing on your own. If you're doing a little bit on your own, you're some dry fire and stuff like that. I know there are a few guys that this is, might have been the first time they touched. Call. Yeah, it's the first time they touched a a pistol, because um, the couple of guys admitted to not really having any dry fire over this winter. So, yeah, uh, and then follow that up with a second magazine of draw and fire a pair yep. at the target. Um, you know, again, keeping everything in that upper A zone. Yeah, and chasing you know what site confirmation. You know, you need you need confirmation one, two, or three to get where you need to be at, at thirty feet essentially to make upper A zone hits. Um, and curiously enough, as rusty as everyone us was. Pretty much everybody was upper A zone, no problem at all. Yep. You know, there might have been like a, a mental lapse here or there for, for one little 355 hole outside of that, but everything was pretty clean. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, post that, uh, we did what's called the crisscross drill. Uh, so, this one started to mess with people a little bit more. Uh, we did this at seven yards, and the crisscross drill, we take three USPSA targets, put them approximately a, a yard apart, and then you start with the left target, um, shoot the upper A zone. The middle target, shoot the, the credit card in the head. Um, the rightmost target, shoot the upper A zone and then shoot the credit card in the head. Go back to the middle target, um, shoot the upper A zone in the chest, and then come back to the left target and shoot the um, the credit card in the head. Yeah. Um, so a lot of target transitions, a lot of remembering where you needed to be looking next. Um, you know, that you can kind of speed up a little bit on the, the A zone in the chest, but you got to slow down a little bit, hit the A zone in the head. Yeah, and the transition um, from from the chest to the head on the on either end, you know, yeah. target wise, you know, whichever where you ended up for the trans transition to come back, you know, it was a little shorter movement. Um, and and it was interesting to me. There was like a cadence conversation. You could tell the guys that were comfortable with the movement, that were seeing what they needed to see. And then you could tell those of us who had their heads up their asses are like, crap, what am I shooting next? <laughs> um, and, and so the the drill is, you know, it, it, more than anything else is a transition drill. Um, yeah. the, the shooting end of it's not hard. It's seven yards. Um, you know, sh shooting the credit card A zone under under time or, or under stress or whatever. 
uh, in the head is is a is is a semi challenging shot, but but nowhere near impossible. We ran this with two target arrays and two guys on the line side by side, um, and not for time, but against the other guy. Um, so to, sort of a drag race. Yeah, kind of a drag race. Kind of you know, kind of putting two guys against each other. Um, you know, rather than the timer to create that little bit of stress. You know, you're in front of your buds and you don't want to jack it up. Um, and and so it was interesting to see. There, there's, you know, there guys were pretty close, but there were enough, like, just single dropped shots out of six that just weren't where they were supposed to be, um, just trying to go a little bit too fast. And then a couple guys struggled with the, you know, not having shot a lot or not having shot at all for three months, whatever, or just doing dry fire, just doing whatever, struggled a little bit with the transition coming into the smaller targets. It seemed like everybody was okay going to the upper A zone. Yeah. By and large, not that there weren't drop shots here or there, um, but going to that small target, finding that like, how much do I really need to slow down to get into that target coming off the big one and coming off a movement, a transition that's even not a big movement that, you know, uh, a yard apart at 21 feet is a pretty close transition, quite yeah. honestly. So um, it was pretty interesting to see everybody figuring out how to put the brakes on to make the headshots. And by the time we got done, I think everybody was slowing down enough to get there. And when I, but it was odd because it, Everybody figured out what they needed to do, and it didn't seem any slower. The runs didn't seem any slower. It just seemed like everybody figured out the transition needed to look like, and that's yeah. one of those things you really only get by doing it. You know. Yeah, we were so. in that I think six times. Yeah. Total. Yeah. Uh, so six rounds per run. Um, not a not a high round count drill, so you can do it a bunch of times. Um, yeah. Really good on the visual tracking part of things. Yeah. Uh, if you're able to stay target focused with your vision. Uh, learning how to drive your eyes to the next target zone and then bring the gun to it. Yeah. Uh, I think help people go start to go faster and go faster more precisely. Yeah. Uh, versus trying to, to move the gun with the sights and then coming back and moving all the way around. Yeah, and one of the things that you know I talked about a little bit in our after action um, was I, I'm trying to work a little bit on kind of loosening the elbows up, not keeping the shoulders quite so cranked down, etc. You know, which is a it is not a new thing, but it's a newer thing to me. I mean, I've always been able to just lock in on the gun, but having a, a torn rotator cuff right now um, and a sprained left wrist, um, there are something like push-ups freaking hurt. They hurt on both sides, and they hurt a lot at both ends uh, kind of thing. So it's, you know, one of those like, okay, let's see if there's something we can do with this. Um, I, I Honestly, I think that getting the hang of that and keeping things loose lets you see what you need to see, lets the gun settle down a little bit rather than trying to force the gun everywhere. Um, and that's a lesson I probably, you know, I've learned in the past, but need to relearn occasionally. So that was nice to get out and do that and kind of see the ability to crank the grip, but lighten up on everything else. And uh, you know, what, what's Proctor say, let, let it do yeah. just kind of let, you know, and let the gun do what it wants to do, but get it to the next place while it's doing it. Um, whether that's under recoil or whatever the case may be, um, good, good stuff from that perspective, the transition end of it, and what feel what you're feeling and let the sights do what they need to do, but get them where they need to be first, and then press yeah. the trigger without screwing it up. So easy peasy. Yeah, yeah, and really focus on, on making the grip come from your, your hands and your forearms and not from the shoulders. Yep, yeah, and, and that's something that, like I said, i, I got to relearn that lesson. It would appear every few years. i got to go back and get unstupid um, and remember how to do the fundamentals. And so I've already been working on that a little bit with dry fire, but it's hard to work multiples in dry fire, obviously yeah. without, you know, one of those mags or, or some other system like a DA gun or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, from there, uh, we did a little bit of call it experiential learning. Yeah. Uh, so we set a target single target to start with out at like five, eh, seven to 10 yards yeah. ish from the shooter. Yeah. Um, 
put a stack set of uh, 55 gallon blue barrels um, as our hardcover um, and then had a start position um, that ranged anywhere from about three feet to maybe three three or four yards maybe even a little further. maybe even a little further yeah. um, on each successive run um, with the emphasis of you know engage the target but don't get shot doing it yeah um, so the the lesson to be learned here was you know can you get to cover faster than you can draw the engage with the gun yeah um, how fast can you move you know how fast can you engage the target um, can you do some little bit of you know plus minus math on aggregate time yeah uh, and then make the appropriate decision yeah and in that you know th this was a uh, this is one of those like thinking things. It's not so much a shooting thing. The shooting part of it's easy. Um, but what are you doing, you know, with your gun? Are you, okay, you've got a threat, you're moving to cover, but you're getting your gun out while you're moving to cover. So as you get to cover, you can engage the threat. Um, or were you at a far enough distance? We got uh, one gentleman who's recovering from knee surgery and explosive movements not on his repertoire at the moment. Uh, we got another gentleman who just got jacked up knees and explosive movements not necessarily in his repertoire either. And so at some point, you're far enough from cover that you're like, my cover now needs to be a wall of bullets. My cover now needs to be whatever's coming out of the muzzle of the gun. And a little bit of that mentality. Um, this is a great thing. If you have a tribe, if you've got a group of guys that you shoot with um, and you're comfortable being the lead on a training night or on a drill, um, setting something like this up, you know, and, and not explaining to your buddies what it is you're going for. Let them learn by saying, by setting it up and then going, okay, it, you know, once you're done, at, at any point did you find yourself going, crap, that's a long way to cover. Maybe I should have just dealt with the bad guy from where I was and gone from there. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer that, especially with what we're seeing right now in law enforcement training, um, you know, everything is done in such a static environment where you stand on your line, you stand in your bay, you stand in your doorway, you stand in whatever it is and you make shots. But yet we've got guys screaming at us in a tactical environment. As soon as you push that into the real world, get out of the fatal funnel, don't stand still, all these different things. But so much of our folk training focus is on getting the gun out and doing whatever and not on footwork. And that's where I think the USPSA guys are just kicking everyone's ass bringing that mentality of I, I got to be moving. Can I be shooting while I'm moving? Is the target generous enough? Am I good enough? And then at what point do I actually, can I get back on the triggers? I'm slowing down or stopping at the next position. And then am I thinking about where the hell I'm going? And so this drill, I think, brought some of those things together yeah. and kind of made you think about, okay, well, how do I mesh this all and try and make it seamless or make it rational or make it functional? Yeah. And I think some guys picked that up at the end, like they realized kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe I should have just burnt the dude to the ground from here kind of thing, especially if you're as slow as I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of it came down to, you know, if you're moving and you're drawing, are you moving as fast as you can? Yeah. Um, you know, if you're moving and I can get from where I'm at to cover and I'm a moving target, Yeah. and that total movement's at, let's call it 0.7, or yeah. less than a second, and, you know, your draw and engage time is 1.8 or 2 yeah. seconds. Yeah. Um, you can get to hard cover a lot faster. You should probably go to hard cover. Absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. if the if it was a three second movement, you know, and you can draw and engage the gun in one and a half or one eight. Yeah. Uh, now the, the wall of bullets becomes very attractive. Absolutely, and I, I still would say that by and large, you're still better off moving. Yeah. You're still better off, and and I, and I don't. And again, we, you know, we've got we don't have any guys in our group currently, or that are at least we're out that night that are that were LEOs. But there, there is a big mentality around not moving with your gun out, making sure your gun's holster while you're moving, blah, 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 and all that stuff. There's a reality check to, 
you know, I, I remember tactical response Jaeger doing his his whole pregame, getting everybody wound up to go out to the range and doing the whole, what's more important, to burn the bad guy down or not get shot? And everybody goes, burn the bad guy down. Oh, wait a minute, I don't want to get shot. And I've, you know, I remember that very, very clearly. And there's a part of this part of me that says, even, even, you know, you've got to work out in your mind what your physical capabilities are and what you're comfortable with, what you're accepting of from that, that environment to figure out, do, you know, what, what are you going to do? Are you, you know, are you going to stand flat footed? Are you going to move slowly? And there's some like Groucho walk things that, you know, that we've, the, the tactical environment the, pushes. Yeah, the combat duck walk. Yeah, where you're moving, you know, almost comically slow. And, and even if you duck walk fast, you're still moving almost comically slow compared to running. And you've got a way out, you know, why? You know, if, if, you're, if you're taking incoming rounds, get the hell behind cover. If you're so far from cover that your best option is to burn somebody down, should you move a little bit and then burn somebody down? Or, you know, on your way to cover, you know, maybe take a few steps, you know, while you get your gun out and then shoot a few rounds and then move again or something like that. I don't know. But it's kind of weighing out how are you going to react to that. And that's something yeah. that I think that is a conversation right now in the tactical world is how do we get – we watch bad guys on videos all the time, and they're constantly moving. Boy, if there's gunfire, they're moving. They're getting the hell behind something. But yet we watch law enforcement officers actually step away from cover, and guys with a lot of training step away from cover because they, they're, they shoot out in the open all the time on the range with that practicing a specific skill, not a tactic mentality, Yeah, if that makes sense. So the, all these drills that we did, the ones that follow this too, were all super, super good for where am I going, where should I be going, and being aware of your environment a little bit and thinking it through. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah, so then um, we kind of ramped this up a little bit. We took that double stack set of barrels, uh, kept one of them out, you know, 10 yards-ish, and then put the other one somewhere around three yards from the target. Depending, yeah. Depending. Um, and again, kept on kind of moving the start the start position. Yep. Uh, so now the person needed to make the decision, am I going to the far cover? Am I putting the close cover between me and the target? Yeah. Um, your movement options were increased considerably. Yep. Uh, as far as, you know, where you could go, where you had cover, um, where the best place to engage the bad guy was at. Yeah. And there's there's some, uh, I think, some, like, mental, I won't say scars, but some predispositions that some guys have. Some dudes are aggressive, and they almost always charge the close cover and engage the bad guy. And maybe they're engaging the bad guy on the way to put on the distance, or maybe they were engaging the bad guy from the cover, because at that point, we were a lot closer than if you were back at 10 yards. Yeah. And some of those things were viable. Um, I don't think anybody shot like horrifically doing this for the most part. I mean, I think most of the guys, if they weren't in the upper A zone, they were those pranka near misses, you know, within yeah. an inch. That's the kind of stuff that's going to say, okay, the guy probably felt that. Maybe he's going to readjust himself a little bit and give you an opening. Um, but to watch everybody react and to make the decisions and then to watch everybody else do it and go, crap, I should have done that. Or why did you do that? You know, depending on what it was. And that was, that was with the single target downrange, yeah. right? And so, um, you know, and, and the reality check is while bad guys tend to run in pairs and threes and stuff like that, there is still the lone bad guy you might need to deal with. And this was really good for figuring out, again, I want to get something between me and him or me and her or me and it, um, them, they, whatever, and, and, and get stuff on target and do their thing. So, um, again, I like the decision-making aspect of this and the off, off the command you're moving to do yeah. something whether it's ag aggressing or not. A lot, of, a couple of times I chose to stay further away. Um, the aggressive mentality is interesting to me, and I get it, but I get it when you're a squad of Marines assaulting an objective 
Um, when you're a single person, you know, everything I know about this stuff says that, that distance is time to some extent and bad guys generally don't shoot well. And if I'm a little further away, I'm probably a little less likely to get shot. Um, yeah. What was it? Pat Rogers said you can, the bullet does the same thing, whether it's it. Yeah. You're three feet, 10 feet, 10 yards, or, yeah, 30 yards. Absolutely. Yeah. The bullet, uh, and it gets there the same thing. And, and for all intents and purposes, it gets there at the same time. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's nearly instantaneous until we start talking, you know, a half mile. So, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, again, love the movement, like the decision-making, and like the tighter shooting parameters to force everybody to get their head out of their butt and make the good hits. So Yeah. Uh, and then we, we cramped this up again uh, when we added a second target. Uh, so now there were two targets. Um, generally, the start position was set up that if you took one or two steps, you could probably put some piece of cover between you and one of the targets. Yep. Uh, so now you were down to solving a single problem instead of two problems at the same time. Yep. Uh, but that did take a good bit of playing the angles correctly yeah. fairly quickly. Which is something that you should be thinking about anyway. Um, yep. and, and some guys didn't plan the angles at all. Um, some guys like, you know, did just went balls out straight at the target and like, oh crap, I was exposed to the other guy the entire time. If I'd just taken literally a step or two, I would have had something between me and the other bad guy, at least while I dealt with one of them. And I remember having a conversation with one of our local LEOs while we were training on the range. And basically there was a mentality around, if I've got multiple threats, I'm going to pick one and burn it to the ground and make absolutely certain that it's no longer a threat to me before I move on to the next one. Um, just so I'm still not fighting two guys at the same time. Yeah. Uh, whatever that means, you know, what, you know, whatever distance that is, whatever's available to me as cover. Um, and, and sometimes life hands you um, a hand of cards that suck and you just got to sort it out. Uh, in this case, there was almost always, it might have been like you stated that, you know, you had two bad options. You had to pick whichever one wasn't as bad yeah. and kind of work through it. Um, and again, one of the things that I saw was uh, when you had the two targets, the two the targets were dispersed a little more, maybe three yards apart. Yeah, three maybe or four yards. Three apart. or four yards yeah. apart. So they weren't quite, you know, they weren't close like the earlier drill. Um, so they're a little further apart. So if you chose the near cover, you'd have a really hard time getting cover from both guys at that distance if one just chose to flank you by a step or two. Yeah. Um, so there were some times where like the far cover was maybe more advantageous from that perspective, but from a distance perspective, was it? And then also, how quickly are you starting to engage? How quickly are you bringing the fight back to the bad guy? Always into this. So it's pretty good decision-making stuff. And again, I think that if you you know, if you know sat down and laid out some of this stuff in your head from an angles perspective, as the guy leading the training night, you could take this to your buddies and run that progression and, and make guys think about, hey, where's that first step or two? Where am I going with that first step or two? Because that first step or two is probably going to be the one that saves you by getting you moving right, wrong, or indifferent. Yep. Yeah. So, and that's something that, like, again, that's something that I've been thinking about with our training progression going back into handgun and concealed carry is there's a lot of dead foot stuff on the skills side of things, but unfortunately it hammers into people that aspect of not moving versus move, moving. And this really pushed the moving into things, even though you weren't necessarily moving while you were shooting. Some of the guys tried it and did okay with it. Some of the guys tried it and found out they can't do it Yeah. at least at this point. So yeah, the moving, you know, the moving while you're shooting, um, really becomes kind of interesting in terms of, you know, round accountability. Yeah. Uh, you know, it looks really cool, uh, but where, where are all of those holes going yeah. and well, being traded? And are you moving fast enough to make an actual yeah. difference as far as not getting shot? I'm not saying that you're not moving your way toward cover and doing that. 
But if your rounds aren't effective or they're not on target or something like that, or you're moving so comically slow that you might as well not be moving as far as from a standpoint of keeping yourself safe, what's yeah. the point? And that's, again, that's a discussion we've beaten on in the past. Um, it, you know, the duck walk thing is for a SWAT guy approaching a structure that he's getting ready to go into and he wants to approach it quietly. He's pretty sure nobody's looking. He's probably got somebody with a shield. He's in got front somebody of him. with a shield with a fr in front of him and two or three more rifles behind him. Then, then that duck walk with your gun up and being ready to take a shot in case somebody pops up in a window with a rifle, that's okay. Get that, take the shot, and then move like hell to cover. Um, you know, but there's a mentality around like if that's the way you're moving, taking fire across an open space and you're moving slowly, you're probably doing it wrong. You probably are better off just to haul ass from one piece of cover to the other and then figure out where to pop out and get a shot off. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, the Crimson Blossom of Death popped up a couple times yeah. too. Um, in, in the middle of this whole, all this movement and getting to cover and doing different things, uh, some guys chose not to top off so that they could get the reload in. Um, you know, just a reminder, and we had this with rifles too, doing some of this stuff. Don't, if, if you've engaged somebody from a point of cover and they've seen you and they know where you're at and you need to get back behind cover for whatever reason, whether it's to clean out your underwear or whether it's to load the gun or clear a malfunction or whatever, don't go back to the same place. The bad guy almost out of habit to survive is going to be pointing at that spot. And if you pop back out there, you're going to have a really tough time not getting shot first. So, um, just a reminder, don't, don't be the crimson blossom of death. Yeah. So cool. Um, anything else? Yeah, this was, you know, again, brings back to what we did a couple weeks ago with the ghost stop drill, you know, being yeah. able to be able to move, start movement quickly yeah. and then being able to decelerate under control, um, becomes really important. Preferably with the gun up, not so close to cover yeah. that you can't, that you're hugging cover and can't come in with the gun up. Um, there was a little bit of Charlie's Angels movement going on where guys were so close to cover they were doing the full Sabrina to get around it. Um, and again, if you chose the close cover, that might have been the best option. If you chose the far cover, maybe not hugging it quite so tight. Yeah. So that, that mentality. Uh, and also understanding that the stop point might not be exactly behind cover. It might be just as you're coming into cover so you can place the shot as you get behind cover rather than giving up visual aspect of the target and then having to reacquire it from behind cover. Yeah. So then that's going to be situationally dependent, you know, where you're at, what you're doing there. Yeah. Yeah. And the, also the way we had targets arrayed, sometimes the stop position was actually on the side of the cover and not yep. directly behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It made, made things a lot more, yeah. it required a good bit more thinking yeah. than probably your average. And the stop position could, could have been way off a of cover too, if you were engaging a bad guy that you really couldn't hide from two at the same time. Yeah. So you might've been way off a of cover, but just putting it between you and the other bad guy. So. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I like the progression, um, and I like the idea of having to move and think a little bit and get places. Um, and starting off doing this after not doing handguns for a while, I was pretty impressed with Harvey's shot. Yeah. Everybody's pretty pretty tight there. So. Yeah. Um, anything else on that? Yeah, sums up pretty we're, much sums up what we did. Yeah, we did um, a walk back. Um, yeah. I'm going to throw out a walk back from a light perspective, uh, from a light and sights perspective. 80 yards in the dark. Uh, Surefire X300 still puts, gives you all the light you need to see what you can see. Yeah. Um, at 90 yards, it still gives you all the light to see what you need to see. Um, but if your trigger finger doesn't do what it's supposed to do, it's for naught. Mm. So having I would the say right. At 90, I I tried adding my uh, Stiletto Pro offset. Offset. Yeah. And wish it had a TI the the T the what's the T the T thing from Surefire. The TIR. The TIR lens yeah. and not a Max Vision lens. Yeah. 
because uh, there was a lot of light going everywhere, but not all of it made it down to the target in yep. conjunction with my X300. Yeah. Um, we both made hits at 80. In the oh, yeah. Yeah, no problem. On a 12 by 12 diamond. So. Yeah. And, and my light was pretty clouded up at that point because I've been running it all night. And so my light was pretty clouded up and still at 80 yards is no big deal. At 90, I think you're pushing the envelope on a clouded up light. If it had been yeah. clean, I think we'd have been fine. Um, my issue at 90 was the was the trigger finger. It wasn't so much visibility. So um, so just a, you know, a note, you're looking at lights, a lot of light. That's that's esoteric. Probably not shooting a bad guy's 80 yards. Um, but I want to be able to see what I want to be able to see. So. Yep. Yep, yep, light, lights, lights, good. Yeah. Also, the fact that you can still do work with pistols in the dark at yeah fairly considerable distances. Well, we started at fifty. Yeah. We started that walk back at fifty yards. So I mean, that's that's already to hell and gone. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. On that note, as we come across cool drills or uh, we get new inventory and things at the store, they get posted up on our social media. You can follow us along on Facebook and Instagram. As long as those comedy bastards let us stick around. Sure. Uh, on Instagram, we are Cap City Outfitters 2. On Facebook, just search for Cap City Outfitters and you can follow us on there. Uh, on our website, you can find valuable information such as how to do an FL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor over our, at our storefront on silencershop.com. Um, as we were recording this um, shortly after St. Patrick's Day, it seems like the techno goobers at the ATF have finally started to get their heads out of their butts. As long as they leave it alone. A lot of the problems for the last month was the, was the ATF doing updates to the system that didn't work with everybody else's connective software. Um, guys, I will throw out there, if you're, if you're hearing this, it's probably you know a week or two, maybe more, after St. Patty's yeah. Day. So mid-March, mid, mid you're hearing this at the beginning of April or so. Um, if you've purchased a suppressor since, say, November of 2021, and you haven't heard from somebody here yet, uh, please feel free to give us a call at the shop, uh, 614-319-3446, a uh, little PSA here. Give us a call, see where we're at with that, because um, we are starting to move forward on some of those. Hopefully, we'll have gone through all of our backlog um, before the beginning of April, but if you're hearing this and you haven't gotten a call or you think maybe you need to check up on it, please give us a checkup on the certification. Um, if you're pushed through and you've already certified, then you could still end up having a few months. I don't think we're going to see 90 days until the end of 2022 when that 90 or less days is going to be the end of 2022 sorry for the interruption yep. so yep yep um yeah suppressors are awesome if you don't have one especially for your um centerfire long ends yep um they will literally change your life yep. um yeah get get on that uh on our we do an email newsletter once a week comes out on friday so you can sign up for that on our website or send us an email to info at capcityoffitters.com we will add you to the newsletter list, and then come see us in the store. We're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. We're in front of the Aldi's. We're directly next to Louis Fusion Drill. We are here 10 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Get out and train.